Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. You know, 12 is a very interesting number. There are 12 months in a year. There's 12 inches in a foot. The most common number of roses sold is 12, a dozen, that's right. In football, the fans in the stands are referred to as the 12th man. Jesus, of course, we know had 12 disciples. There's 12 tribes of Israel. Probably the most holiest of all of that is that Krispy Kreme sells these little cracked circles by the dozen. We call them donuts. They're fantastic. 12 of them in a box. 12 is a very interesting number. Unless you're 12 years old. Then you just want to forget the whole thing. Because 12 years old is an awkward age. Would you agree with me? Do we have any uh, 12-year-olds in the room? Just don't be ashamed. Raise your hand right now. Oh, yeah. You're going to hate me by the end of this sermon, okay? I'm sorry, 12-year-olds. Some studies have offered that the age of 12 is the most awkward year of your life. Not tend to agree with it. No offense to all the 12-year-olds in the room, but I do want to give you some hope today. I do. All of you 12-year-olds, here's some hope today. You will grow out of this phase. I promise you. There's the hope. You will grow out of this phase. Matter of fact, if there's anybody else in the room, any adults in the room, um, anybody older than 12, that that you had an awkward phase in life, uh, somewhere around the age of 12, you were just awkward. If, if If that's you, and just testify to these 12 year olds, raise your hand high, let them know. See, there's hope for you. Some of the 12 year olds are looking around right now going, that's my future? I'd rather stay awkward, no. When you're 12, you're you're not a little kid anymore. But you're not yet quite a teenager either. You're stuck in the middle somewhere. You're a tweenager is what you are. You're a tweenager. And when you're 12 years old, things start happening. Your body starts changing. Physically, you begin changing. Your underarms start smelling. 12-year-olds, listen to me. Listen to Pastor Rocky. Use deodorant. It helps, okay? Underarms start smelling. You, you often have food stuck in your braces, and nobody tells you at lunch. Nobody. They just let you go all through lunch, and everybody's looking at your teeth, and they're disgusted by the food stuck in your braces. So you, you have that going for you. Um, your voice starts cracking. I mean, it just does. You just, you're going through some changes, and you, just, you, don't, you don't know what to do with it, but sometimes it just kind of comes out sounding like shaggy a little bit, like, you know. Like, wow, Scoob, <laughs> there sure are a lot of ghosts in here. You know, yeah. uh, you're welcome. First service didn't get that. Uh, around this age, your skin begins to become oily and, and you start battling zits. You start battling acne. Being 12 is not easy, amen? It's tough. And most 12-year-olds probably wonder where God is at in the middle of this trying season. They're going through this tough, awkward stage, and they think, God, where are you? Did you forget about me? Are you leaving me here? You know, God, help me get past this. Help me get through it. And I can assure you that God can relate to a 12-year-old. We'll get to that in just a moment. The Bible does not tell us much about the childhood of Jesus. We read about his birth and then his early infancy. We read of 
One account around the age of two years old where wise men came and visited him and his family at his house. I know I just messed up all of your nativity scenes, but he was around two years old when the wise men showed up. There's this one moment where around that same time that Joseph, his father, his earthly father, is warned in a dream uh, that, that Herod is going to kill him. So uh, he, he takes Jesus and Mary and Joseph and baby you know, or young toddler Jesus. They, they flee to Egypt. But after that, we, we just don't know much about his childhood. The, the Bible just kind of goes silent during this time, that we don't find out much about what Jesus was like as he was growing up. And in this age of social media, we get to watch children grow up as proud parents post pictures of their precious little children. Some of them act like little devils, but to you, they're precious little children. We, we see their first steps. I actually saw this the other day. It, it was amazing. Parents had the phone. They were recording the first steps of their child walking. So they threw it up on social media. And I got to see, along with many other friends, their child take its first steps. It was, it was incredible. We get to see the first day of school pictures. I got to see all of your kids and their first day of school pictures. Thank you. I've never been so excited to see the second day of school. <laughs> we get to see their birthday parties. I don't even have to attend anymore. I don't have to go to your kids' birthday parties. I see all of the pictures from the birthday parties right there, and there's way too many kids for me to be there, okay? So I get to see that. And, and then we get to read these cute little quotes that, that your kids make to you, and you think your kid's like the smartest kid in the world because they made this quote to you, so you throw it up on social media, and we get to read it. But all the kids are making these, these cute little quotes, and... And I, I get a kick out of reading some of them. But whether we want to or not, we get to watch our, our friends' children and even some of our family members' children grow up on our phones and, and on our computers. We get to see it right before our eyes. God didn't do that. When it came to the childhood of Jesus, his son, God chose not to put it all out there on display. I'm not saying it's sinful for you to do that. Mandy and I, we used to put pictures of our kids. They used to be cute at one time. <laughs> our twins are almost 21 now, not so cute anymore. We just don't even love them like we used to. We found out that, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're still not cute, but we do love them. Um, God didn't do that. God didn't put Jesus' life out there for the whole world to see. He didn't document it. Not at least in his childhood. We only have, honestly, about five and a half years of his life, his earthly life for us to look at when you put it all together. We get this detailed picture of his birth. We get a glimpse of his terrible twos. I'm only assuming. I mean, he was, he was fully God, but he was fully human too. So I'm guessing that there were some terrible twos in there. And then there's 10 years that go by before we see another snapshot of his childhood. And we only get this one glimpse, and then the Bible goes silent again. But we get this one glimpse in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read from there, starting in verse 41. We get this one glimpse, and this is it. This is all you're going to see about his childhood. And so there's some things we probably need to pay attention to. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. 
Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. For those keeping track, you'll notice that we just read 12 verses. There's 12 verses in the narrative of Jesus at 12 years old. That's all we get, 12 verses of Jesus at 12, and that's it. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think God's very intentional with his number system. I turned 12 years old when I was in the seventh grade. I was always one of the youngest in my class. It's because I started school when I was four because I'm awesome and brilliant. <laughs> I graduated when I was 17. You know why, right? Because I'm awesome and brilliant. And um, no, seriously, back then you could start school at four years old if you were going to turn five before the change of the year. So before January 1st, and that, that was my situation. My, my birthday being December 12th, they allowed me to start school when I was four. And so when I get to, to seventh grade, I'm still, you know, one of the youngest in my class. So I turned 12 years old in seventh grade. And I have to admit that it was one of the most awkward years of my life. No, it was the most awkward year of my life. Seventh grade was a tough year for me. I, I was shorter, um, and, and, and leading up to that, I, because I was, I was shorter at the time, and, and I, I began to put on some weight, so I was expanding width but not height. Um, I wore husky jeans. Anybody know what husky jeans are? They won't let you have husky jeans today. It's not politically correct. I wore husky jeans. Some of you should have to wear husky jeans. You should, it had a tag on it that said husky on it. And if your shirt was tucked in, people could see that you wore husky jeans right there. I'm scarred by this, guys. It hurt me. It hurt me. You laughing hurts me, but I'm okay. Probably the worst part of this whole thing was I had a bowl cut. I did. I had a bowl cut. Uh, you want to see a picture of me in seventh grade? Well, too bad. I'm not going to show you a picture of me in seventh grade. No, seriously. Do you want to see a picture of me in seventh grade? Promise not to laugh? I'm telling you, I was awkward. They even spelled my name wrong. You see R-O-C-K-E-Y? Who spells Rocky R-O-C-K-E-Y? Quit taking pictures of the screen, Scott. <laughs> Apparently, I disliked my appearance so much that I got a pink highlighter and I X myself out. Die. Die. Yeah. I went through my yearbook this week and I was looking through my seventh grade yearbook 
And I'm here, guys. Look at me. Look at me. Quit looking at the screen. Look at me, okay? Apparently, I went through my yearbook, and all of my close friends, I highlighted around them with a pink highlighter. I guess while I was flipping through the pages and I got to me, I went, oh, I hate me, and I X'd it out. I did. True. It was an awkward, awkward year. I, um, over the next year, my, my physique started changing a little bit. I grew up some, began to get taller, and began to mature. Do you want to see 8th grade Rocky? Of course you do. All right, here's 8th grade Rocky. Haircut didn't change much, but <laughs> I did get some highlights in my hair in case you didn't notice that. They did spell my name right. Thank you. I slimmed up. Look at, look at the picture. I did. I slimmed up. You don't see the double chin anymore. I later in life developed it back, but, but lost the double chin there. I had a tan. I guess I came out of summer strong, didn't I? I had a tan. Look at that tan. I, uh, I was rocking that shirt collar outside the sweater. Looked good, didn't I? Imagine, I walked to school like that, man. Uh, the only glimpse that we get, get that off the screen. They're never going to pay attention to me if that's on the screen. The only glimpse that we get of adolescent Jesus is at possibly the most awkward time in a human's life. I think this is very intentional by God. The most difficult time, especially in a child's life, when they're so impressionable, when they're worried about what people think, it's the only glimpse that we get of adolescent Jesus. He's a preteen. He's obviously in his own world like most 12-year-olds are. I know this because he doesn't even bother to tell his parents where he is at. So he's living in his own world mentally, you know. He's just, uh, I didn't even think to let you know that I was going to stay behind at the temple. And you go to day's journey out, you come back and you begin searching for me. It takes you three days to find me, but I didn't even think about letting anybody know. Or maybe it's just because his parents, I don't know, maybe they, they weren't concerned with him. Maybe they didn't care enough. I don't know what the situation was. I know that they look through their family after their day's journey in, and they're traveling in a big caravan, lots of aunts, uncles, and different people, and they, they eventually become concerned. They start looking for him. They can't find him, so they have to go back and, and find Jesus. Either way, no matter how this went down, I, I know that the only picture that we get of childhood Jesus is this. That's it. The next time that we see him, he is 30 years of age, and he's about to begin his ministry. And then we'll get another three and a half year glimpse of his life. This is it. This is all that we see. And the key as to why God would show us his son's seventh grade picture at 12 years old and not any other year of his childhood, I believe, is found in verse 49. In verse 49, in the English Standard Version, it says, And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? First of all, like a typical 12-year-old, he's kind of got that smart butt tone a little bit, doesn't he? I know some of you are scared, especially guests in the room right now. They're thinking, oh my Lord, we're all about to get struck dead for listening to this guy. He just called Jesus a smart butt. No, 
I said he had a smart butt tone with his parents. That's all I said. Big difference, right? I hope there's a big difference. Okay. <laughs> and so he answers his parents with kind of a smart tone a little bit. He said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I mean, I think he's safe. What are they going to do to him? He's God. What, do you beat God? I don't think so. I don't know. I think Jesus probably got away with a lot of stuff as a child simply because he's God, right? And after all, mom and dad lost God. I mean, so figure that out. Many translations of the Bible are similar to this one. The New International Version says, Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Very similar. New Living Translation says it. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? You get to the King James Version of the Bible, and it's, it's just a little bit different because it says, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's, and here's the big word, business. Not in my father's house, but about my father's business. The Greek language is very interesting. It was common for the writer not to include nouns or the object of the thought. And so they would often just assume that you knew the rest of the sentence. In our communication today, we, we do this. Instead of saying, come, go with me, maybe we would say, come with. I wouldn't say that. That's kind of goofy. But maybe you said it before. And because of this writing style, it might surprise you that the words house or business never appear in this verse. When you go to the original Greek, it never says house, it never says business, not in the original Greek. Some translators assume that because he was standing in the temple when he said this to his parents, that he meant my father's house, the temple of God. And so they just assumed. That's what the Greek writers wanted you to do, to do. Just kind of assume the end of the sentence. So they assumed the end of the sentence. And standing there in the temple, they assumed that he said, didn't you know that I would be here in my father's house? Other tra others translated it as about my father's house business. And they both make sense. I mean, when you think about it, sure, why wouldn't we find Jesus in the house of God? Or why wouldn't we find Jesus about his father's business, doing the things, the works that his father would want him to do? Before we point fingers at the translators and call them heretics, I think it's important to understand that if translated word for word, it would be very hard for us to understand. As with a lot of the Bible, especially the New Testament coming out of the Greek. So if we translate this verse, this sentence, word for word, here's where the problem emerges because it says, it would read like this. It would say, did you not know that I have to be in that of my father? Doesn't make sense, does it? it, it it's kind of like Kevin on the office, right? When he says, me think, why waste time, say lot word, when few word do trick? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Someone needed to bring clarity to what he was saying. Someone needed to say it. Someone needed to put an end to the sentence because there's a lot that we can assume. What noun goes there? But when you dig, an actual better translation of the verse would probably be more like this. Didn't you know that I would be in the things that are my father's? Or, didn't you know 
that I would be concerned with the things that my father is concerned with. Mom, dad, why were you looking for me? Wouldn't you know that I'm concerned about the things that my heavenly father is concerned with? And you start understanding the heart of what Jesus was saying there. Over the past few years, over the past few years, I've heard it many times. I've heard it once. I've heard it a thousand times probably when people say, when are you going to build? Does anyone have to answer that question? Anyone? Be honest. Anyone ask, you know, when is your church going to build? I get so tired of answering that question. I do. Or... What's going on with your construction? I get tired of answering those questions, but I always oblige and I I give an update as, as nice as I can. I do. I represent you well, I promise you. But let me tell you why I'm so proud of this church. And if you're a guest with us today, just forgive me for the next few moments because I need to talk to my church. I need to talk to this church, my, my DCC family. I want to tell you why I'm so proud of you. It's because You have not allowed a building to dictate your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. You've never allowed not having a building dictate your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. You have continued to be involved in the things that are our fathers. You've continued to be involved in the things that our father is concerned about. We've sung about it in years past. God, let my heart break for the things that break your heart. God, let me be concerned with the things that you're concerned about. Church, we may be this awkward 12-year-old church, but don't think for one second that we are sitting back in front of a TV playing video games, just wasting time away. No, from the beginning of this church, we have constantly over and over and over again we have been concerned about the things that god is concerned with we have moved forward being concerned about the thing the father's business that's what we're concerned with what breaks his heart is what breaks our heart what he wants to celebrate we want to celebrate and so we meet the needs of each other when one hurts we all hurt I watched it happen right here just a, just a couple of weeks ago when there was a, a, a family that, that lost everything in a fire. And then during second service, we felt the Holy Spirit tell us, take up an offering for this person. And you did. You responded with over $2,000 to give to this family, allowing them to put a down payment on a new piece of property because you care. Because what breaks God's heart is what breaks your heart. We reach out to our community through free events and through service projects. We send thousands of dollars to the mission field every year. Currently, we are supporting orphanages in Guatemala and in Haiti and the Heart of Florida Youth Ranch in Citra, Florida. This is what you do. This is the Father's business that you are concerned with. And now, church, I get to announce to you the next big thing that we are going to do. Are you ready? There's two big announcements today. Are you ready for the second one? Do you want the good news or the bad news first? Well, you're getting the bad news first, so here we go. The bad news is that we're not hosting an annual serve day this year. I I knew some of you would be disappointed with that. Let me talk to you about that just for a second because I think it needs some clarification. 
When we first started our annual serve day, our church was much smaller. We've been doing this seven, eight years now. I, I, I lose track, but our church was much smaller, and it made sense because typically the Sunday after Thanksgiving was the, the lowest attended Sunday of the year for us. And so the staff and I, we thought, well, why don't we do something unique? Let's, let's put everybody in matching red shirts, gather a few projects together, and on that particular Sunday when the attendance is low, let's don't just have church let's go be the church and let's go out into the community and let's do some serve projects and at the end of that day we will come back together and have a dinner on the ground and celebrate it together and and it was okay for us to do that because jesus said it is lawful to do good on the sabbath and so we did that we went out and we did good on the sabbath and when the crowd was much smaller you know with with 200 people that's much more manageable but when you start getting four and 500 people or even more that are signing up to do projects all in one day it, it just creates a logistical nightmare. We've often called that day, you know, organized chaos, and it is. Do you want the good news? Instead of having a served day, the month of November will be a served month. So, so let me talk to you about how this works, because I, I knew you would be excited about this, and I want you to be excited about it, because I need your help with it. So here's how this is going to work. Instead of having that one serve day in, at the end of November, what we are going to do, we're going to have projects for you to sign up for throughout the entire month of November, n not necessarily on Sundays. We are going to have numerous days, a lot of Saturdays, multiple projects happening on different, uh, on different days. And you can sign up whenever the time is right. You'll be able to go online and sign up for not just one project, but you can sign up for two or three if you want to. Everyone is still going to get matching red shirts at the beginning of the month. If you sign up, you're going to get a shirt given to you at the beginning of November. We ask that when you go out and serve throughout that month on any of these projects that you wear that shirt and, and, and represent us, represent the kingdom of God, letting people know that God loves them, God cares about them. And so throughout the month, we are going to do that. And then on the very last Sunday of the month, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we then are going to come together as a whole, and that will be a celebration day for us. We are going to celebrate on, on that Sunday with, with, with video and, and then testimonies of, of how God used us during that month as we were reaching out for not just one day, but for an entire month. Now, now here's where I really need your help. Starting today, you can go to our website. You can also use the app. Go to events registration, and you can submit projects for us to consider. We need your help with this because if we are going to fill up a whole month of serving, we need projects that we can look at. And, and understand this, we know that we cannot do all of the projects. For some of it, we, we simply may not be able to afford to do that. But we do want to put forth some money towards this. We want to dedicate some funds to doing this. And so we want you to go on the app, go on the website, submit some of these projects. And, and there are questions there. It, it helps us determine, you know, what the logistics of that particular project looks like. So you, you need to know where it's at. You need to know, you know, approximate cost and, and what that's going to look like for us. And, and it has a place there for you just to give us a brief description of, of what this is going to look like. And so starting now, we are going to starting today we are going to be collecting these projects and then the staff we're going to be looking through that we're going to be assigning leaders and when the time is right throughout the month of, of October you're going to be able to 
to go online and, and you will see the slots there. Once, it's, once that particular project is full, you'll no longer be able to sign up for that one. You'll have to move to the next one. And so we are doing all of that work for you so that you can go in and you can sign up. But we need projects. So here's what I want you doing. I want you going, uh, riding down the road. If you see an area that needs some attention, maybe it's just a public area. Maybe it's a park or, or something that's grown up and, and you're like, I want to see something happen here. I want to see my church be the hands and feet of Jesus and make this look better. And so go on the app, go on the website and submit that project for us to consider. It, maybe you live next to someone. Maybe, maybe it's a, a senior adult and they, they need some assistance around their house. Their, their house needs to be painted or, or pressure washed. Or maybe they need a ramp built onto their house for wheelchair access. Whatever it is, don't be afraid to submit these projects. Be on the lookout. I'm praying that throughout this month, we begin to see things differently, that we see where we can interact, where we can help, where we can serve, but you are the eyes and ears of this church. We need you taking this seriously. We need you looking for these projects and helping us see where we can mobilize and where we can be the church. I just believe that God does not want the church stuck within these four walls. God wants the church mobilized and out there making a difference for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So church, we may not have a building to call home yet, but that does not stop us from being concerned with the things that our God is concerned with. This world needs the love of God extended to them right now. We are so divided. What if this church... What if we could make such a dent in our community and our surrounding communities with the love of Christ that we would begin to see unity in our communities? We've got enough people in this room right now that if you were commissioned to go out as ambassadors to serve, simply serve, not go out and get in theological debates. Uh -uh. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to the unbeliever. Until the Holy Spirit gets their heart right and prepared for it, you can preach all day long. But what they need to see is love and action. Because that's going to open up conversations for us. When they see a church, there's something about those red shirts. You know that, right? Some people call us a cult for them, but that's okay. But when the red shirt brigade hits and we start ministering to people and we, we start serving people, I'm telling you, people take notice. Imagine if there's someone out there that they... They have a need. They have a physical need in their life. But their spiritual need is so much deeper. And because we went out and we served them, it opened the door for us to have conversations about eternity. Everything that we do will point back to the cross. Whether we say it or not, it will. And I'm believing the Holy Spirit will open the right doors for us to have meaningful conversations with people that will change their destiny. I want Destiny Community Church to be a roadblock on the way to hell. That people can't get to hell without crossing through us. That's what I want. And who knows? By the age of 13, this church might finally be out of this middle school, right? Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.